Let's pray, and then we'll look into Scripture today. So, God, we um, we do believe in your Holy Spirit, and I say that often, not to remind. Uh, I guess I do say it to remind all of us, myself included, that we believe in you, Holy Spirit, and you're active, and you're active right here, and you're active, or at least you want to be active when we open up the Bible and read your word because only you, Holy Spirit, can show us and say to us things that we can understand. Um, we know this is not a cognitive mental exercise to read the book called the Bible, but it's actually a spiritual um, adventure for us to understand what you're saying to us. So we love you, Holy Spirit, and uh, teach us. We ask this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to, uh, oh, I mentioned this too. We did start kind of on time today for those of you who weren't here on time, which is okay. So we start, we had this song I play. Uh, we started at 1025 and it's, it's on revival. And I, I'll talk about that a little bit because we're talking about Christmas revival. But let me just I'll tell you a little bit of an experience I had this week with regard to this sense of revival and Christmas and all that. So I'm, I'm listening and I'm, I'm, this is not even, it's kind of a prelude to the sermon, but not really, kind of. So I was listening to songs on the radio, and it was like, you know, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, and, and it was all these Christmassy kind of songs. It was a Christian radio station, but most of the songs at that time were just kind of Christmassy. So I was kind of about, thought about the Christmas mood, and then I, was, then I went into pick a restaurant to pick up some food, and it was one of those situations where I saw somebody in the restaurant, who actually saw me first, said hi to me, and please don't tell me you don't have these reactions. My first reaction was, oh, no. All right, because this person, and nobody here knows this person, this person I, I knew from years ago, um, actually was part of their wedding. I did their wedding, actually. Um, but I hadn't talked to this person in probably 25 years, but I knew they were back in town, and I knew they were in a very, and they are in a very dark, dark place emotionally. And that's why my reaction was, oh, no. But, and I'm thinking, okay, can I just keep the let it snow, let it snow attitude that I had when I got out of my car? Do I have to deal with this? And I felt like it was, I at least wondered from God, is this, is this you? Because it's kind of like there's a lot, I mean, Christmas has all these warm, fuzzy feelings, at least for a lot of us we want it to. But then, not just for this individual, but you know people who their lives is anything but bright right now. I mean, it's hard. And I thought, okay, when Jesus came, he didn't just come home, come to, the, to earth to bring wholeness and joy and peace to all the people who have it all together. But what about all the people who are having hard times right now, who Christmas is anything but pleasant? And uh, so I just... Just, I want you to close your eyes just for a second. I just don't want to start this way. Just think of somebody you know that is maybe, maybe not in a dark, dark place, but maybe they're in a dark place or a shadow place right now. And Christmas may not, maybe it's somebody who's gone through a divorce. Maybe it's somebody just having all kinds of issues. Um, and you know that their Christmas is not going to be like, you know, full of Christmas carols and warm, fuzzy feelings and apple cider kind of stuff, but it's going to be hard. 
There's a lot of people Christmas is hard for. So I want you just to think of that person. And in a second, I'm going to ask you, to ask you loud enough for you to hear, only you to hear, whisper their first name. And the whispers are going to be a list of uh, 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 prayers that we're going to raise to God and ask him to bring peace that only he can do supernaturally and bring joy. Not, to, not, not that it has to happen this Christmas season, but God, would you do something in these people's lives? I don't, I don't want us to forget about people whose lives are hard. And even some of us here might have lives that are hard right now. But I just, when I saw this person this week, I just thought, let's pray. So in a second, I'm just going to say, one, two, three, I want you to whisper their first name. And then I'll pray, all right? Uh, one, two, three. So God, you've, you've, heard, you've heard these names, and I'm confident that when it came off our lips, it was because we care about these people. We know these people. Or maybe it's people we don't know. Maybe it's just people we see on the, along the Beeline Trail who are homeless or have mental health issues. But God, we know that when, you, when Jesus came to the earth, and Scripture tells us people walking in darkness have seen a great light, that that still is an ongoing reality, that people who are walking in darkness can see a great light. And the great light is not uh, modern medicine. The great light is not modern health. The great light is the spirit of Jesus who alone can set people free ultimately. And so, Jesus, we pray that the great light, that your great light, you said you're the light of the world, I pray that it would shine in the lives of uh, these individuals that we just prayed for we don't even know what that's going to look like or what it could look like. It just seems way out of our thought of reality that you could do something in their lives. But God, forgive us for not having the faith that you can do incredible things. Jesus, you healed, you healed all kinds of people who others thought were hopeless. So would you forgive us for putting people in hopeless categories? And at least when we see people or be aware of people, would you lead us to pray for them? that the light of Jesus would shine on them. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Um, weird meter. Haven't seen that for a while here at Exodus. If you've been a part of Exodus, you've uh, seen it occasionally. The weird meter is, and this I have on high, because the weird meter is, it goes on high when anything, some, anytime something happens, it's just kind of like outside of what we think reality really is. You know, so... I mean, in a, in, a, in a lighthearted way for Christmas, you know, Santa Claus, reindeer, flying in the air, that's kind of a weird, weird thing. It doesn't really happen. It's not real. Um, elves, Buddy the Elf, North Pole, all that stuff. It's not But we don't call it weird meter. At Christmas, we call that just kind of fun and make-believe and whatever. But, but there is a weird meter that happens with spiritual things that, if we're honest... It kind of causes us a little bit of, ugh, I don't know, but what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Because uh, whenever the weird meter, supernatural things, supernatural phenomena, when those kind of things happen, we can have one of those responses of, uh, maybe. You know, or we, we don't think it's make-believe, but we want to believe. So I'm going to actually start, and this, 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 there is a Christmas connection here because I'm going to make one. But I told you I've been talking a lot, I've been doing a lot about, uh, go to the next slide. So there's a, there's a, there was a revival in Kentucky in 1801, all right? And you're thinking, what does this have to do with Christmas? But you don't know yet the, the, the series, if you were here last week, the series is called Christmas Revival. 
But there was a revival in 1801 in Kentucky. And you know it had to be of God because it was in Kentucky, right? God wouldn't go anywhere else but Kentucky. So, But the Cane Ridge revival, 20,000 people gathered. So I'm, I'm focusing on the word revival. And I won't go into how they got 20,000 people there. It wasn't like uh, they didn't send out mass texts and Instagrams or whatever. But 20,000 people gathered at this one location for, for a large variety of reasons. And here's some of the quotes of some of the things that happened. All right? These are weird meter things. All right? I'm going to the weird meter. All right? So this first quote, go to the next slide. This first quote is from a guy named Barton Stone. And I don't know if any of you were, grew up in like the Christian churches, Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, Southside Christian Church, Clear Creek Christian Church. Those churches all came out of a movement called the Stone-Campbell Movement. All right? Barton Stone was the stone of that. Kind of a, a, and he was part of this revival. And here's, here's what he said about what he saw with some strange things happening weird meter things happening among these 20,000 people, all right? And uh, so here, let me just start off. He says, the scene to me was new and strange. Next one. Many, many, many fell down as men slain in battle and continued for hours together in an apparently breathless and motionless state. So people that are just falling down, like slain in the spirit is what people might say today. I don't know. Sometimes for a few moments reviving and exhibiting symptoms of life by a deep groan or a piercing shriek or by a prayer for mercy most fervently uttered. Okay, 20,000 people, not all of them, many of them had fallen. Something God was doing. And if you and I were watching or if we had a chance to watch from afar, the weird meter would kind of be clicking at three, maybe four or five or ten or whatever. Because like, what? Is this? What? All right, go on. And then he finished by saying this, with astonishment did I hear men, women, and children declaring the wonderful works of God. All right, that was Barton Stone. One other pastor said this. I have one slide from another pastor. This is Moses Haig. The careless, and careless meaning people who were, uh, the way he used it was people who weren't, uh, weren't following Jesus. They were spiritually careless. The careless fell down. They fall down. They cry out. They tremble. And not infrequently are affected with convulsive twitchings. So it's weird meter stuff. And I, I, like I, I think I told you I've been reading a lot about different revivals throughout history. Just yesterday I was reading about one that was in China in the early 1900s where the same kind of phenomena happened where people had kind of weird reactions, but they were groaning, they were calling out to God, and it was just this particular rival. I think there were at least two or 3,000 people came to know Christ through this. It was just kind of, but it's weird meter stuff because it's like, oh, Really, I don't know. People are falling down and they're groaning and they're crying out to God. And can't we be a little more in order than that? Can't we be a little more? That seems odd, right? So, but I, you know, there's been re revivals in the Old and New Testament talk about things. Pentecost had some weird things happening. But throughout history around the world, when these kind of revivals happen, there was one called the Great Awakening, uh, Jonathan Edwards. And, but Weird things happened. And they were weird. When I say weird, supernatural. Now, not all the weird stuff was of God, but a lot of it was. So go to the next slide here. So I'm doing a series called Christmas Revival. So I'm kind of taking my, my passion with revival lately. And not just revivals like events, but what does that really mean for God to, re to revive us? 
So revival and the idea of Christmas and putting that together and kind of anchoring in the passage from Isaiah 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Because the sense of that passage in Isaiah that was written 800 years before Jesus was born was, it was like something dramatically is going to change. Like there's, this is happening, darkness. Actually, Isaiah talks about darkness, despair, and distress. And then, a great light comes on the scene. Obviously supernatural. And it's a prediction of what's going to happen and what's going to come. And so, and this is where, again, you, Jesus talks about himself as I'm the light of the world. So we know it's Jesus. But it seems like when, when he comes on the scene, something dramatic changes. But when he came on the scene in Bethlehem, a lot of people didn't believe. It was just too way out there. The weird meter was too high. So this idea of a Christmas revival. So go to the next slide. So uh, let, me, let me go back, go back a second one more time. Sorry. Let me go. So re, let me give you a real simple different of, definition of revival. Rega, revival is when God gets the attention of his people and gets the attention of people who aren't his yet, the world. So anytime revival happened, whether it was in the Bible or throughout history, the first thing is God's getting the attention of his people, the church and getting them to open their eyes and see things, maybe shake them out of a slumbering kind of religious life. So he gets the attention of the church first, and then because of that, it draws the attention of the world. Maybe even draws some of the mockery of the world like they did at Pentecost. Oh, these guys are drunk. They're drunk. Something's wrong. They're drunk. This isn't God. All right? But anytime revival happens, it's, it's, a, it's a surprising act of God that gets the attention of his people. And when I say surprising act of God, we could all say supernatural, we could all say weird meter, whatever. Something that gets the attention of his people. And people repent, change, leave sin behind. His people, but that gets the attention of the watching world because they see something happening they can't explain. The Bible even talks about that in some other places in Corinthians where non-believers see things happening that are supernatural and weird, but they're drawn to God because of that. So revival is always something God does to draw people to himself, all right? And it's always some kind of a surprise, all right? So that's, so then they have Christmas arrived. So now, go to the next slide. Now I've got this, this, I'm calling this the Christmas weird meter, all right? Because, uh, the whole Christmas story is full of weird meter stuff. And I'm saying that, I know you know that, but sometimes it's good to be reminded of that because when Jesus first came to the earth, the weird meter was way high, high in the red zone. And so wouldn't it be true then that if he comes to visit his people again, I'm not talking about when he comes again at the end of time, but when he comes to visit, whether in revival like he did at Pentecost or why, like he did at Cane Ridge, Kentucky, or like he did in China, like he does in Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in 1901, where the spirit of Jesus comes to visit his people, um, the weird meter most often will be high. And I'm saying that in a way somewhat of preparing us, not that revival is going to happen next week or next month or tomorrow, but Who's to say in any of our lifetimes, God may do something where he's getting to the attention of his people, and I don't, want, I don't want me or you to miss it because we've discounted weird meter things, all right? 
So I want to remind you of kind of the weird meter things of Christmas and the, uh, the coming of Jesus when he came the first time because anytime Jesus shows up, uh, the supernatural, the weird meter, whatever you want to call it, I said this before, uh, Christianity at its core is a supernatural religion. It's not a moral religion. It's not a teaching religion. It's not a behaviorist religion. It's not a political religion. At its core, there's this belief that there are two worlds, the world we see and the world we don't see, the visible world and the invisible world. And those two worlds exist simultaneously. And in this invisible world is the Spirit of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's also the uh, demonic forces. But we live in both those worlds simultaneously. Christianity is, a, is built on the belief that there's another world that we're a part of, all right? So, we, so let's just look, let me just, let me just kind of go to the Christmas story and just remind you, go to the next slide, go to the, remind you, so the, the, the Christmas story kind of was projected in Isaiah chapter 9, the people in walk, walking in darkness have seen a great light, all right? Read that out loud with me, all right? One, two, three. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said this is going to happen. The people who are walking in darkness see a great light. People who walk in darkness see a great light. Something supernatural is going to happen. Something's going to change. So it was predicted then, all right? Then we fast forward 800 years. Now I go to the next slide. We fast forward to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke where we hear the, the Christmas story. Now, again, we, you know, Christmas is... If, if, if we're, when we look at all these Christmas realities today, like Santa Claus, and I was just talking to a pastor the other day who mentioned that last year he said he mentioned at Christmas Eve that Santa Claus wasn't real. And a father in the congregation got up and left the service and told him later, I was so mad because my daughter's 12 and she still believes that and you crushed her. I'm just like, so I'm sorry if any of you still believe that. It's not real. But we, but we have these, you know, we have these culturally acceptable things about weird meter stuff, you know, outside of the ordinary stuff, whether it's Santa Claus, uh, uh, a reindeer that has a red nose that can fly and all those things. And those are kind of like cute and acceptable. But the Christmas story itself has quite a few other world, weird meter, supernatural moments. And again, I'm saying this because when Jesus came the first time, he was accompanied by supernatural stuff. So whenever he shows up, there's always a good chance he's going to be accompanied by supernatural stuff, and I don't want us to miss it, all right? So Matthew chapter, let me just kind of go through some of the events of the birth of Jesus, all right? So Matthew chapter 1, we're told as a virgin birth. We're told as a virgin Mary has going to have a baby. Supernatural event, weird meter, way out there, all right? Joseph has a dream, supernatural event, because he's going to divorce Mary, Finds out she's pregnant. She obviously told him what the angel said, but he obviously didn't believe her or whatever. So he has a dream where an angel appears to him. All right, another supernatural weird meter event. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream to tell him, hey, this is of God. So Moses, Joseph gets up. He believes what the angel told him in a dream. You tell people today... God told you something in a dream, they will most likely roll your eyes at you. And I'm not saying uh, you believe everybody says that, but it does happen, right? Dreams, God can use dreams, all right? And then also in Matthew 1, the angel reminds Joseph in the dream 
of this prophecy from Isaiah 7 that a virgin will conceive. So again, there's another supernatural weird meter thing that something written 800 years prior about a virgin conceiving comes to fruition. So we have a virgin birth. We have a dream, Joseph, where he meets an angel, and the angel reminds him of a prophecy. So all these weird meter stuff, all right? That's just in Matthew chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, kind of the beginning of the story too, we were told that Mary was... Uh, shocked by the presence of Gabriel. An angel shows up in, in, right in front of her and tells her to this 13, 15-year-old young lady, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, how can this be? I don't know a man. I haven't had sex before. Yet. That's okay. The power of God's going to do that. So at the very beginning of the Christmas story, when Jesus shows up, the weird meter is clicking really high. And I know we all know that, but I want to remember that. I want to remind myself of that, that, the weird, that when Jesus shows up, weird things often accompany it. Weird meaning supernatural things, all right? Then you go to Luke chapter 2, and you have the shepherds in the field and all the, you know, the nice songs we sing about shepherds, which are good to sing. I'm not opposed to that. But they're in the field, and the shepherds, Shepherds are the least likely people for God to appear to because their testimony wasn't even valid in a court of law. They were that low on the social ladder. They were that low on the trusted ladder of the culture of that day. And so what happens? The first message of the birth of Jesus, it's an angel shows up, said an angel appeared among them. We often... We often uh, have the pictures and the idea of the angel shows up in the sky, but all the Bible says the angel appeared among them, so who knows if it was walking among them at night, and tells them what's happening. And then we hear that a vast host of angels join them. We don't know if they were on the ground, in the sky, or whatever, but they proclaim glory to God in the highest. So here, angel, these shepherds, and who would believe these shepherds? They're telling us about this weird meter moment they had, and I was like, come on, you guys are shepherds. You're, you're liars. We don't trust you. They're like, no, no, but it really happened. Something happened. And they go to visit, they're the first ones to visit Jesus. So another kind of, I'll call it a revival moment because God is drawing attention to himself. That's what revival does. God does things supernaturally to draw attention to himself for the sake of his people, but for the sake of those who don't know him. All right. Then you go to Matthew chapter 2, and then we have to add the other manger scene people, the wise men, who, of course, we don't know that really, we don't believe they came that night because they were too far away, but the wise men from the east who were totally, totally not Jewish people. So they wouldn't even have been a part of God's people. So again, in revival, what does God do? He does things that attracts the attention of those outside of his people. And the wise men see this star. They go to Herod and they say, we saw this star in the east that's telling us about this king. And they quote a prophecy, even though they weren't Jewish, they knew the Jewish scriptures, and they quote a prophecy from Micah, the prophet Micah, that says the, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So they're telling this to Herod, and they're trying to figure out where do we go. And so there's all kinds of weird meter moments for these wise men there. They see a star. They, they connect it to this prophecy they know about from the Jewish Bible. And they come all the way across land from the east and tell Herod because they're not sure what to do. And 
And then they go to visit the baby in Bethlehem, and they're told in a dream, don't go back to Herod. I mean, it's like we got angels, we got stars, we got dreams. They're told in a dream, don't go back to Herod. And then Matthew chapter 2, kind of the conclusion of the Christmas story as we know it. Uh, Herod gets so mad he's going to kill the babies. So we're told that Joseph has dream number two. Another angel appears to Joseph, maybe the same one. He says, Joseph, I said he, I don't know if angels were he or she, but anyway. The angel says, Joseph, Herod's going to try to kill the baby. Get up right now, right now, and go to Egypt. And the angel actually tells Joseph, this is fulfilling a prophecy from Hosea chapter 11 about my child is going to come, be called out of Egypt. So again, another prophecy, another fulfillment, but it's a dream. And it says Joseph got up right away. They got up right in the middle of the night because Joseph had a, def- a dream that he knew was definitive. Probably hit his weird meter. If the weird meter goes to three, his weird meter was at probably 100. It's like, what, am I do- what do I do with this? But he gets up, tells Mary, we got to go, we got to go. They go, they go to Egypt. They're in Egypt for some amount of time. Joseph has another dream that finally says, the one who was trying to kill the baby is gone. He's died. Now you can go back. And they go back to Nazareth, fulfilling the prophecy that might, it'll be called a Nazarene. So that's the Christmas story. You take out any of those weird, meter, supernatural phenomenon moments, and it's not really that compelling of a story. It's just a girl has a baby. And, but with all those moments in there, all these supernatural, weird meter, the start of the greatest revival ever moments are what drives the Christmas story. And because we believe, we know that Christianity is supernatural. But again, when Jesus came the first time, he was surrounded by these kind of moments. Because whenever Jesus shows up, pretty dramatic things happen, can happen. I'm not saying that when Jesus shows up, like at Cane Ridge, Kentucky, people are always going to fall down and groan and wail and cry out to God. That's true. That's happened a lot in revivals throughout history. I'm not going to say whenever God shows up, people are going to have flames of fire like in the book of Acts, tongues of fire over their head, and they speak in unknown languages, praising God in languages they haven't learned. That doesn't happen every time in revival. But you read about revival in China, revival in the Welsh revival from 1859, and all kinds of revivals. There were odd things happening that could easily get you or me to think, ah, that's probably not God. And some of them were kind of wonky, and I'd probably say some of it wasn't God, but a lot of it, when you read about some of these revivals, a lot of it, a lot of people thought, no, there's something God's doing. He's getting revival, getting the attention of his people. Revival gets the attention of the people who aren't yet his, the world. So here's my whole point for this morning. Be open to the supernatural stuff that will happen when Jesus shows up. I mean, it happened the first time at Christmas, the first Christmas, and a lot of people, you know, it wasn't like he was born and all of a sudden revival broke out, but once he 
grew up, he was rejected by a lot of his own people, the Jewish people, because they're like, no, he's, that's, that's not him. They, they rejected the weird meter stuff. They were expecting it, maybe, they thought, but it didn't fit what they thought it was supposed to look like. And so they rejected him. So Pentecost, the spirit of Jesus shows up. All kinds of weird stuff shows up. What do people say who are rejecting it? These guys are drunk. This is weird. Too weird. Pharisees, religious people, Jewish people, those who should have been looking for it, missed it. And if that's what Jesus does when he shows up, because when he's breaking through from the invisible to the visible world, there's naturally going to be uh, turbulence between the two worlds. And these supernatural things are, are God's way of getting the attention of his people. So I, I don't know. I would love to say in our lifetime or in your lifetime, you're going to see a significant movement of God. I mean, there was time back in the late... Uh, 80s and 90s where there were a lot of campuses across the United States where there were revivals happening where students would confess sin and people would so it happens in big ways and small ways, it happens in China and Wales, it happens in Cane Ridge Kentucky but I don't know if I don't know if God's going to do that in any of our lives but I do know this, I don't want any of us to miss it if it does I don't want us to mock it, I don't want us to write it off as, well, that's just a little bit too weird. Some of the, some of the, some of the uh, criticisms of a lot of revivals, even in the past couple hundred years, was that's too emotional. Too much emotionalism. People shouldn't be groaning and crying out to God. They should be more muted. Says who? I don't know. But we, we, have, our, we have our understanding of what religion's supposed to be like, but God has his understanding of what he wants to do. And don't ever put boundaries on God. Yeah, put biblical boundaries on. I mean, if somebody's doing, I mean, if there's things happening in revival that you're just like, that's way out there. I'm not to accept everything, but just be open to what God might be doing. Be open that if God's doing something in your life. I mean, when I, when, when I ran into this guy almost literally this week at this restaurant, and he said hi to me, the guy who I told you was in a really, really dark place, my, my first reaction was, oh, no, right? My second reaction was, God, is this a coincidence or is this you? Because I knew this person was back in the area. I didn't really want to see them because I know they would suck life out of me. All right? So, but it, I'm not out of my first reaction. I'm glad I had my second reaction of, okay, God, is this you? So I don't know what things you might encounter in your life, in your relationships, in your situations this week, next week, next month, next year. But if your first reaction is, uh, at least be open to your second reaction asking God the question, is this you? Because I, I don't want to miss it if it's you. I, I, gotta, I don't want to miss it if it's you. I, I think every one of you would say that. God, I don't want to miss this if this is you. I don't know if it is because the weird meter's wonky right now. The phenomena, you know, the supernatural stuff's kind of swimming all around me. And I mean, the Bible tells us we might entertain angels unaware. 
No, I'm, I, don't, I don't see an angel behind every door. I don't, as far as I know, I've never seen an angel. I might have. I don't know. But at least be open to asking the question of God, is this you? Because revival, big change in my life, significant change, whether it's in the church of God in Bloomington or whether it's among the people of Bloomington who don't know God, big change, revival might happen when God, and when it does happen, it will be accompanied by things that will shock us. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to miss it whether I'm 61 like I am today or whether it happens when I'm 91. I don't want to miss it. Whether it happens when I'm in Bloomington or whether it happens when I'm in a nursing home when I'm 91. I don't want to miss it, right? Because when Jesus came the first time, the first Christmas revival, all kinds of stuff was going on in the supernatural world. When he came to Pentecost, all kinds of stuff. The rest of the New Testament is other stuff happening. Dreams, visions. So in the midst of all the fun make-believe about Christmas and the magic of Christmas, don't push the works of God into the magic of Christmas box. Let that be its own box. It's okay. All right? But then have another box that's like the supernatural acts of God that draw attention to himself, get our attention and might get the attention of people who don't know him yet. But at least have that box there and look and see what God may be doing around you because you never know. Um, I actually, I was driving to church this morning. I actually thought, what am I going to do if this guy who I saw this week shows up in church this morning? Because he would, he would be a distraction, right? I was open to it. He's not here, Right. But I thought, what, what if, but I'm, I'm, I always want to be open. God, what if? I really don't want it to happen because it would be a distraction. It would be really weird. It's going to cause me to be uncomfortable. And anything in the spiritual world always pushes to it outside the comfort zone. But what if he were to come? Or what if somebody does, engages in your life this week? You're like, ah, I didn't want. But God, is that you? Is that you? So we'll finish here. Go to the next so the, the passage in Isaiah that starts with the people walking in darkness seeing a great light, um, just a few verses later, Isaiah writes this, for a child is born to us. You know, a son is given to us. So when he shows up, the government is going to be on his shoulders. When he shows up, he's going to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. When he shows up, he's going to be an everlasting father, a prince of peace. His government and his peace will never end. So, yes, we believe he's showing up in his second coming, his return to earth. But Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is always showing up. The Prince of Peace is always showing up. The mighty God is always showing up, the one who can solve the problems you can't solve. The everlasting Father is always showing up, the one who knows your heart in ways like a father wants to know the child's heart. He knows what's going on in ways you don't understand. Let, that, let him show up. And don't, uh, don't, throw the wheel, don't throw your weird meter away because you don't think it's working correctly. Maybe it's working and you have to pay attention because maybe it's God. All right? We finish every Sunday with communion. And uh, we, um, Aaron's going to come up and lead us in a couple more songs. And 
We do this every week. It's not like we, you know, the Bible doesn't really say how often do communion. But when we first started Exodus, my wife and I talked, it was just the church at that time was my wife and I, so we made all the decisions, right? So we thought, let's do it every week. And the reason was not simply because, well, let's just do this tradition, you know, other churches do it. It was more of, I want every week to end with that this, what we gather is all about what Jesus did for us on the cross, his death, and his resurrection. So we don't gather to sing. We don't gather to hear preaching. Primarily, the high point of the gathering, the center point of the gathering, is Jesus. Um, the center point of the gathering is his resurrection. Um, you'll even notice uh, in Catholic churches or even liturgical churches, and, and I do this, and if it bothers you, I, in those churches, you'll never see anybody preach in front of the altar because it's, it's basically getting in the way of what the center point is. The, 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 they always preach to the side, and the altar is always center. And it's because Jesus is always center. The preaching isn't center. Early on, I didn't, the music is never center. And maybe I should preach from over here. Maybe I should think about that. But I just, but this is center. And Jesus said, every time you do this, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember me. Remember what I came to do. Remember, uh, I came, and Scripture says, every time we eat this, we proclaim forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's a pretty weird meter moment. It's a, it's a wiping away of all the, uh, all the things we've done that have blocked our way with God. But Jesus said, every time you eat this, remember me. And uh, so when you take this wafer and this cup, when we do it here, we just dip the wafer into the cup, and, we'll, and then we eat it right away. You're, you're basically inviting Jesus to come into you, which might mean you might have some of this weird meter stuff coming with him, right? Because when Jesus comes, he doesn't have any, he doesn't want restrictions. He'll come however he wants to come. So this is a kind of a picture for you that when you take it into you, it's a symbolic, but it's a mystical picture that Jesus, I want you in my life, and you can show up any way you want to. And I'm going to at least ask if it's you. All right, so Aaron, come on up. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, take. So Jesus, we, um, we want you to show up. I mean, we believe you're inside of us. The Bible tells us that. You're in this, your spirits and all of us who believe. But uh, we, we know, even though we don't want to admit it, we know we exist somewhat in a spiritual slumbering state. And we need you to awaken us. So this Christmas, would you awaken us? Would you awaken us individually? Would you awaken our marriages, our families? Would you awaken us in how we relate to people we don't want to see? Would you awaken our hearts to what you're going to do, what you want to do, and what you are doing? So Jesus, we want to remember you in that way, that when we invite you into our bodies with this bread and this cup, we're also inviting you to show up in ways that are most likely uncomfortable, but in ways that are ultimately life-giving and powerful. So that's what we want. We want that. And then we ask this all in your name. Amen.